0: Don't know what kind of week you've had. Uh, I've had uh, a very humbling kind of week. Uh, I've reached a point in my life where I am beginning to assume the role somewhat of parenting my parents, which some of you have experienced that. My sister turned 46, which means, well, I'm not going to say what that means, as far as my age. And then, on on top of all of that, uh, I've I've tried uh, to make a commitment to be more involved in the community this year, and uh, involving myself in in three or four different things to to try to accomplish that. And, And one of those is I'm going to help Clint Spencer coach his Little League baseball team and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that until clint i found out we're the yankees <sighs> that 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 could push my dad completely over the edge i mean that may be uh what finally gets him i don't know but uh, but then i was i was telling chris and linda easton it could be worse and i can say this since greg Mays is not here her this morning we could be the cubs I mean, the Yankees are maybe just that much ahead of the Cubs. So anyway, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, please turn uh, to Matthew 6. And I have no idea if Bob knew what I was going to be preaching on this morning or if he looked at his bulletin before he uh, prayed. But a great segue into this lesson this morning, uh, Bob, so thank you uh, for your thoughts. Uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 is where we'll be uh, this morning. But let me begin this way and kind of set the stage for a new series of sermons that begins this morning. Uh, I announced on the first Sunday of this year uh, kind of the sermon plan that I had outlined for this particular year and wanted to follow up our series of lessons from the minor prophet Micah with uh, some sermons on prayer. And one of the reasons that I I chose this was because of something that I read the very first week of the year. You've heard me reference Tom Rainer uh, a number of times in the past uh, Rayner is involved in church growth. He uh, looks at data and demographics uh, among churches across the board, uh, the religious climate in our uh, country, and offers some very good things that are very helpful uh, for churches. And he released a brand new book that first week of January, and it's my kind of book. It was only about that thick, and I could read it in one sitting. But the title of the book is Anatomy of a Revived Church, Seven Findings of How Congregations Avoided Death, and finding number four was Committing to Powerful Prayer. So when I read that, it kind of got me to thinking about the importance of prayer. And prayer is something I think we often just assume and maybe we take a little for granted. And I know in my own personal life, I have to confess this morning that as I reflect on my life as a Christian, my prayer life is kind of like this. You know, there are times I'm, I'm pretty good, I think at prayer, other times I'm not. So I knew whether this ser- sermon series benefited you or not, it would certainly benefit me. Well then, uh, Rainer follows the publication of this little book up with an article on his blog on January 24th Uh, The title of that little article was Five Most Significant Single Changes in Turnaround Churches. And the number one significant change was concerted and intentional corporate prayer. So praying together as a congregation. Well, that sealed the deal for me. And that's when I'm fully committed to uh, looking at uh, prayer. And I've chosen uh, the Lord's Prayer, as we uh, sometimes call it. Just thought it would be appropriate, as we are now a few months in uh, to this year, to discuss this topic of, of prayer. And we're going to especially discuss it in uh, the context of corporate prayer, or community prayer, when we assemble together, and how we pray together. But the principles we learn will also, I think, apply in our personal private prayer lives as well. So you can see on the slide uh, behind me that I've titled this series, This Then is How You Should Pray. And we're going to focus especially upon what we uh, traditionally have referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's actually found in two different texts in the New Testament. Uh, I I think typically we we always remember that it's found here in Matthew 6 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We may forget that it's also found in Luke chapter uh, 11 verses 2 through 4. And we're going to spend time in both of those texts before we complete uh, this series of, of sermons. But to set the stage this morning, before we ever uh, begin to talk about the Lord's Prayer itself next week, I think it's important for us to see and consider what Jesus said in chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 5 through 8, before before we ever get uh, to the Lord's Prayer uh, itself. But in order to do that... I have to comment a little bit on the, the thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount that I read as we began our assembly uh, this morning. Not going to take time to go back and read chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, but let me just kind of summarize Uh, what I think Jesus is doing in uh, the thesis statement before he ever gets into really the meat of the Sermon on the Mount because, again, it kind of sets the stage for chapter 6. What Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount was meant to counter the false assumptions or misconceptions about himself and his teaching and correct the abusive teaching from the religious leaders of his day. He says in this thesis statement, again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, that his disciples, citizens in the kingdom of heaven, are to have a righteousness which exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. These religious experts of Jesus' day missed the point Of God's law well the scribes or the teachers of the law were the preservers the interpreters and instructors of the law again they were the teachers the scribes abuse of the law destroyed one's relationship with other people Jesus corrects their abuse in chapter 5 verses 21 through 48 The Pharisees were a Jewish sect zealous to keep the law. They were the doers. And their abuse of the law destroyed one's relationship with God. Jesus corrects the Pharisees' abuse beginning in chapter 6 verse 1 and continuing through verse 18. And that's the section we find the Lord's prayer. So with that brief introduction we now come to chapter 6 in verse 1 and we find the thesis statement for our section again where i believe jesus addresses the abuse of the law by the pharisees which destroyed one's relationship with god look at chapter 6 in verse 1. jesus says be careful take heed pay close attention not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The Pharisees measured a man's devotion to God by focusing on outward acts of righteousness or deeds of righteousness, works of righteousness. Now, Jesus is going to go ahead and identify three of those, but what he says about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting would also apply to any other works of righteousness or deeds of righteousness that we might seek to do. Jesus chooses these three activities as illustrations and, and, and the proper way to approach these acts of righteousness, the surpassing righteousness that he mentions in chapter 5, it flows from the inside out. And again, the three he chooses uh, to make this point, benevolent giving or almsgiving, prayer and fasting. Now, I think we all understand that Jesus is not saying to avoid such things, but again to be careful that they are done with the right motive and the right audience uh, in mind. And in in fact, the wording there, uh, each time he introduces these three acts of righteousness, Jesus is assuming that citizens in his kingdom, his disciples, are going to participate in these three things. Now, this is is a sidebar to the sermon this morning and a little free, okay? We, we, We probably don't have any problem with benevolent giving or prayer. I mean, we're regularly involved in those things, but when's the last time any of us have fasted? Oh, you can you can raise your hand. Few of us, okay. Few of us. I haven't. I was just trying to get those who, those who had. That, that's a that's another that's another sermon series. All right, but something to think about. All right, okay. Close the parenthesis on the sidebar sermon. Let's get back now uh, to prayer. Look at chapter six, uh, verses five through eight. And again, this kind of sets the stage for. Jesus providing to his disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer or this model prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you go, or excuse me, when you pray, in setting the stage for giving uh, the Lord's prayer or this model prayer uh, to his disciples, first of all, attacks the abuse of the Pharisees, and then he kind of slips in a a dig, if you will, at pagans as well. So let's go back and try to understand some of the things that that Jesus uh, here might be uh, teaching us. First of all, Jews prayed three times a day. Before going to bed, when they awoke, and at the time of the afternoon sacrifice, or roughly three o'clock in the afternoon uh, afternoon as we measure time. The Pharisees, it seem, seems, used that time to intentionally be in a public place where they, again, could parade their piety and draw attention to themselves. And so I think as, as Bob alluded to in his, his comments, Jesus' intention was not to downgrade public prayer, but to condemn the motivation of the hypocrites. He, he uses hyperbolic language, exaggerated language, to make his point. Jesus is not saying that the only place we can pray is in some private hidden room. Uh, Lori and I, when we decided to buy that home in uh, Hidden Lake, uh, we did an initial kind of walkthrough and decided uh, we would pursue the purchase of that home. We did one final walkthrough an hour before closing. And the the family had moved out. It was completely empty. And our realtor, uh, Vic Wrestler, came and said, "Hey, I discovered something that we didn't know." And so he takes us into the master uh, closet, and there was a hidden, secret door that you could open up. That was a safe room, and we never had a safe room. And it's cool. It's it's got it's got all my old baseball cards hidden in it. I mean, that's about the most valuable thing I have, okay? And Lori doesn't have anything in there. You know, it's just for my baseball cards. But if a tornado ever comes, we can jump, jump in this place. Not one time have I ever gone in there and prayed. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. But again, that's not, that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. Again, he is not downgrading a public prayer. What Jesus is saying is to close the door of distraction and disturbance and performance when we pray whether it's publicly or privately and again he also kind of slips in a concern about pagan prayer for pagans Prayer was nothing but meaningless repetitions in which they tried to secure the attention of their gods and manipulate their gods. Long, loud, repetitive prayers were deemed more powerful. Pagans always prayed with that grave concern of even being heard by their gods. And, and we have an example uh, of that uh, in Scripture and it's one of my favorite stories uh, in the Old Testament. Very quickly go back to 1 Kings 18 uh, when, when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Lori and I got to visit Mount Carmel in our, on our trip uh, to Israel in uh, a, very, a very beautiful place that overlooks the valley of elah a very fertile green uh, valley there's a monument on top of this mount in a church dedicated uh to uh elijah so you know you know the story the the stage is set it's it's somewhat of a of a contest you might say between our god the true and living god versus the gods uh, of the prophets of of baal so let's begin let's begin reading in verse 25 Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon... Elijah began to taunt them. It, modern paraphrase would be, Elijah began to talk a little smack. And he, and he says, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And and we know the rest of the story. Jesus is saying we do not serve a God like that. In fact, he knows our needs before we even ever ask him so the so-called lord's prayer again is now given by jesus as a model of what prayer is to be like in our own lives and we'll begin to look specifically at that lord's prayer next sunday so as we conclude this morning five points to ponder in this introduction uh, to this uh, series number one and we've already alluded to this point, when acts of righteousness are done, we must have the right motive and the right audience in mind. Why are we praying? To, to whom are we praying? We, are, we, are we praying to be seen by others or by the God to whom we are addressing Number two, our acts of righteousness are to come as a response from within our relationship with God. It's, I, I think it's significant. Again, we'll talk more about this next week. How does the Lord's Prayer begin? Our Father, which implies a relationship. And so again, whether it's public prayer or private prayer, prayer and almsgiving and fasting and any other act of righteousness that we might choose uh, to involve ourselves in that they are to flow from with from within us without because of our relationship with god number three and and here's here's the first challenge of, of this series follow the example of early second century christians And recite the Lord's Prayer three times a day. There there is an ancient Christian document, one of the oldest that we have, a non-canonical document that is called uh, the Didache, or the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Some scholars date this document. Uh, Late in the first century, nearly every Scholar dates it at least early in the second uh, century, and in chapter three, verse excuse me, chapter eight, verses three through eleven. Here's what it says: Neither pray you as the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded in His gospel. Then it goes on to recite the Lord's prayer and concludes in verse eleven: Pray this three times in the day. that's a a good that's a good practice and so I'm going to challenge us all to develop that habit now you might argue that when something becomes a habit it becomes rote or just routine and there's there's always uh, that possibility with anything that we do right but but why, why do we develop habits to to get into a practice to to get into a routine, and so we have the habit of telling our spouse uh, we love them we, we we get into the habit of spending time with our children we get it, we get into the habit and a lot of things for some really good things that we rarely consider to just be rote or ritualistic or unmeaningful in fact if you go over to Luke's account of Jesus giving this model prayer to his disciples the language there suggests that you will say these words exactly as Jesus teaches them and, and I have I have recited the Lord's Prayer uh, before Bible classes uh, Scott McKnight, in our D-men cohort at Northern Seminary, began every class with us reciting together the Lord's Prayer. I I have been a part of athletic teams who, at the end of a competition, have recited the Lord's Prayer. I, I have been a part of Um, groups uh, community prayer groups in the city of Edmond and in Oklahoma City who have recited the Lord's Prayer in a very focused meaningful way and and if we can do it in those contexts, why can't we do it in our personal individual private lives and so I would I would encourage us when we when we do this three times a day to do it audibly don't just think it don't just think it although that's not a bad habit either but but say it audibly and maybe choose to do it with someone again i'm getting a little ahead of myself but jesus doesn't pray my father he prays our father and he I, he again he's emphasizing community here right? corporate public uh, prayer So follow that example. Uh, Begin to pray this prayer or recite this prayer uh, three times a day. But number four, but, okay, but, don't neglect the power of spontaneous prayer, okay? And again, we have a great example from the Old Testament. This is is one of the most amazing things to me in, in, in Scripture, Go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah, uh, of course, is in Babylon. He is concerned about what he's hearing, uh, of what is going on in Jerusalem, in Judea. He's wanting to take action. And so he is trying to get up enough courage to ask uh, King uh, Artaxerxes permission to leave his post as the king's cupbearer and go back to Jerusalem and initiate some reform, renewal, recovery. So let's let's pick up uh, the text in chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Again, the sadness was because of what he had heard about his homeland uh, in in Jerusalem. Uh, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much uh, afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And there is a spontaneous prayer offered by Nehemiah. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. Not not only is it a very powerful, spontaneous prayer, it was a really quick one. Because Artaxerxes is asking this question, and he answers almost immediately, but in just that quick, he prays to God. So... So yes, let's get in the habit of praying the Lord's Prayer and hopefully at the end of this series we'll we'll better grasp the significance of the Lord's Prayer and what it can mean to our lives. But don't neglect spontaneous prayer. Aren't we thankful that Nehemiah and we serve a God that we can spontaneously pray to to them? the, the, The pagans... He would have had to say, okay, time out, Artaxerxes, but i got to yell to my God. i got to see if he's listening. Right? Don't have to do that. So, number five. And this is kind of a teaser for what we're going to learn as this series continues. Understand that prayer, especially the Lord's Prayer, is not forgetting what we want, but rather accepting what God wants. Understand that prayer, especially the Lord's Prayer, is not forgetting what we want, but rather accepting what God wants. So we'll dive in more to the Lord's Prayer beginning next week. Already alluded to the fact that it begins with a relationship with God. And that relationship is initiated by our faith in Jesus. And so when we become convicted that he is God's son and that he is savior of our lives, we confess that, we're baptized into his name, and that relationship, that journey begins. There may be someone here this morning who hasn't been immersed in the name of Jesus I think the water's warm. I think the water's warm. If not, we'll just get cold for a few seconds. Right? Or maybe you've, you've made that step, and for whatever reason, your, your, your path, your life path, something has derailed you. Right? And we're here to support and encourage you as well. If someone has any need this morning. Please know you're surrounded by a group of people who love you, who are committed to you, and we want to assist you any way we can. Please come while we stand and sing.